Welcome to the Magnificat Podcast. We are an international ministry to Catholic women. Throughout this series, we will pray together, share insights, and hear amazing testimonies, typically from women of faith who have been touched by the power of the Lord in their lives. This is a decidedly Catholic podcast, and in this series, you will hopefully learn more about the Catholic faith, God, the Blessed Mother, and much more. Thanks so much for joining us. Now let's listen to a great program. I'm blessed to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I was sitting in prayer Wednesday, which happened to be the Feast of Our Lady, the Feast of the Assumption. And the word that he gave me, a number of scriptures ran through my head. And it had one word that it was a common word in all of them. And I want to start by sharing that with you. Because the word was behold. Behold. Kind of as a part of the word of be, the being of who we are. But the word the Lord gave me was behold. And I thought, okay, so I know, Holy Spirit, you're trying to tell me something in this. There's this deeper significance, not just for me, and it was for me, but for all of us here that the Lord was given a word like this. And I googled, what did the word behold mean in scripture? And this is what I found. It was a word that had a strong meaning to whoever was hearing it. In Greek, what they heard was, don't miss this. Be sure you see this. This is an observable objective fact. So when Jesus or any of anyone in the scripture said, behold, that's what they were telling the people. Make sure you see this. This is real. If you look with the eyes of faith, you could see it and it will become concrete. Don't miss it. And the scriptures that ran through my head real quick, it's the word of God that is able to pierce our hearts. And it's the word of God that makes our testimony even more alive. So this was his words. What did the angel Gabriel say to our mother in Luke 1? He said, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus, like we just heard. There's power in his name to break every chain. But what did our mother first hear? She was just Mary. She was just a a woman like us, a young woman. And what she heard from that angel was, Mary, don't miss this. Make sure you see this. It's real. You can, it's observable if you have faith. And then he gave her the rest of the message that the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And it will be by the Holy Spirit that you conceive this child. Picture her. Behold has just come to her with this message. I can just sense the Holy Spirit rise up within her and that faith go forth that caused her to respond to all that this angel had said with the same word that the angel said. She said, behold. In other words, I do see it. I do believe. I believe that it's going to be real. I am the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done to me according to your word. And I think we as women and men The Lord is first saying, behold, believe with the eyes of faith. Let your faith rise up. It is there. I have put it in you. Hear and listen, for I am real. 
The other scripture that came quick was from John the Baptist. Now, you know, John the Baptist knew Christ. He knew, he knew Jesus. He didn't know Jesus was the Christ yet. He was, they were cousins. But he knew Jesus. But on that day, on that special day, in John 1, verse 29, it says the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him. And in that moment, the Father poured out his revelation upon John the Baptist. And he saw Jesus as the Christ. He saw the dove come down. And he proclaimed, behold, to everyone like us, behold the Lamb of God. Look, see, he's here, he's real. This is the one. He will take away the sins of the world. And he is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Some translations say the Holy Spirit and fire. And one more to go. There's many, but John, in John 19, Jesus is dying on the cross. It's one of the last things he does, is doing. And he looks down and he sees his mother and he sees the beloved disciple. And we are his beloved disciples. We are his sons and daughters right here. And he's looking down on us. And his mother is with us. And he says to his mother, woman, behold your son. Behold your daughter. And in that moment, she hears the same word that she had heard at the Annunciation that caused her faith to rise up, to proclaim back, behold, I do see. And she hears her son now say, behold your son. And she received her new calling that she would now be the mother of many of all of God's children. He had given her this gift in his dying breaths. And then he looks at the disciple, us, and says, now you behold your mother. See her. I have given her to you. She's real. She's observable. Don't miss this because she has a place in your life. And it's a very important place. The Blessed Mother has been a very important mother in my spiritual walk, even before I realized it, even before my conversion. It was the Blessed Mother that was behind the scenes bringing me back to where the Lord would want. And I'll share some of that in a little bit. But the word for us now is to behold and believe that nothing is impossible for God, no matter what your circumstances are. Nothing is impossible for God. The Lord is very much alive and he desires a personal relationship with us. So it's my hope that as you listen to the rest, you will hear it, that unction of the Spirit rise up within you saying, Behold, I desire to do it for you too. And nothing is impossible for me. 25 years ago, my life was totally changed one day at Mass on a Sunday morning. In that moment, Jesus became real to me. He was no longer someone that I had heard of or had been taught about. or it, He was real. And he was looking at me in the Eucharist, in that Mass. And my life would never be the same. A few months later, I would go to a retreat that turned out to be a charismatic retreat. And I would attend a Life in the Spirit seminar. And there I would meet the Holy Spirit. I would receive prayer for baptism in the Holy Spirit. Remember what John the Baptist said? Jesus will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Hands were laid upon me that day in prayer. But Jesus came again as he had done in the Eucharist. And he baptized me in the Holy Spirit. And it's been a journey with him since. And it'll continue to be because we're never fully there. We're always as children growing and walking along. So although the events in your life may be different than mine, 
the Lord wants to break through. He wants to break through all of us. I was born in New Orleans. I'm blessed with four children. Roy and I have been married for almost 44 years. I was born and raised Catholic, and my mother was very good about bringing us to church, to Mass, every Sunday. She was really the, the faith model and mother in our house. It was my mother. So I had that background. I went to Catholic high school, elementary school, and when I graduated from high school, I went to the LSU College and then the LSU School of Dentistry, and I graduated in dental hygiene. Most of my time is mom and wife and grandmother, which are joys, blessings, and, and ministry. But there comes a time in our lives when we have to choose, and that word was given in the prophetic, choose. And we have to choose because our God is jealous. We have to choose that we cannot have this divided heart anymore, and mine was. And I didn't even know it. Like the, the prophetic word the Spirit gave us, there is no middle ground. And he'll bring us and show us where that line is, and he was going to do that in my life. Because there comes a time when we have to really sit and think, how important is my faith? What does it mean to me? There's a lot of crisis at the church now. Could we say what our faith meant to us, and could it be real for someone else? Do we understand it? Do we know it? I didn't. I really didn't. And is Jesus real to us, or is he just a part of the whole institution? He's not. So we have to make that decision ourselves. So after I was married, my faith began to get complacent. Um, I, the whole practices that I had been brought up in and faithful with through college with, at home, I began to let go of. And Roy and I would both allow a lot of other activities to take first precedent over Mass. I still went to Mass when there was nothing else going on, but it was really inconsistent. Think about it now. You know it's no different today because so many things pull out us, and there's a trend there that most people are following. Why do we stop? It, we have to make an intentional decision, my sisters. It's an intentional decision to follow the Lord. And until we realize that, all kind of things that seem good can pull us aside. But it has to have that commitment to stay faithful in the busyness of the day. Because even school activities in Catholic schools are sometimes on Sundays that, that really put a hard call on some, on some people. I'm not saying everywhere. But once we begin to make excuses, it becomes easier to change that course in our lives. And before you know it, you've lost the faith. You've lost the most important thing to you. And I can testify to that. So I went to Mass when it was convenient for me and the families. And when I did, like many families, I went alone with the children at that point in time. It's not like that now. Although I was trying, the inconsistency in my walk became a place where my boys picked up in particular and began to resist me. Oh, and I'd say, we have to go to Mass. Well, why today? Why do I have to go? Really, you'd say, Dad's not going. And why today? Why we didn't go last week? And, and they had a legitimate argument with me. But at the time, it was like, because I said so. And that was all I knew how to say. It became a time on Sunday mornings that were, I hated it. It was just nothing but conflict. And in these mornings, it was difficult because I felt like I was in this battle and I felt like I was in it alone. And I could only see the good that I was trying to do. I couldn't see the faults of where I had been and where I was in it. In this time of really uh, battling, I started to think, well, maybe I'll just leave the Catholic Church and I'll become Episcopal. Now, you'd say, why would you pick Episcopal? Well, because my children were going to an Episcopal school at the time. Roy was on the school board, and he liked the pastor there. We knew a lot of friends, and we had a lot of friends in the Episcopal Church. I didn't have as many in the Catholic Church because I wasn't there all the time. I wasn't involved. 
but I was through the school. I went to the masses that they had for school activities, and I thought, it looks kind of like ours. It did. They had communion. They said the Our Father. Some of the prayers were the same. I didn't know my faith, and I didn't know Jesus as alive in my life as a person. I started to think about that. Well, we'll just I'll just change, and we'll all go to the Episcopal Church, and they'll follow me. They'll follow, why? Why would they follow me? They weren't following me to the other one. But that was the crazy logic. You know how, I mean, I, ladies, I think sometimes we do try to fix things when we can't and control them. And that's what I was doing. I was looking for answers on my own. In this time, the Lord would show me that I was really in a faith crisis. It was my life that he, need, he wanted to touch. And I was had the internal chaos going on. And so I shared my struggles one day with a friend of mine, a dear friend that I'd gone to school with. We're still real good friends. And I told her what I was thinking. And she didn't say too much, but she just said, well, you want to read this book? So she gave me a book by Sister Bridge McKenna called Miracles Do Happen. And so I began to read the book, and immediately I was intrigued and, and enthralled with it because Sister Bridge begins by talking about a faith crisis, her own personal faith crisis in her vocation. And so one Sunday I was reading it, and the chapter that day happened to be on the Eucharist. You can see where this is going. And she talked about the crisis of faith in the Catholic Church and how so many people no longer believe in the true presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. And that if they did, they would never be leaving. And then she referred multiple times, multiple times in this chapter, John 6. She kept just saying John 6. Well, I didn't know where John 6 was. I didn't know the Bible. So I just kept reading until later in this chapter, she refers to John 6 again and she writes this quote. She said, from John 6, so she didn't say it. Jesus was saying it. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. When I heard that, I was in, at home in the quiet by myself before anyone else in the house was up, before I got everyone ready up to get ready for mass. And I, and I, was gonna, I knew I was going to be beginning the battle. And I read that. And in that moment of stillness, I literally heard these words to the point where I turned around and looked in the room. And the words were, and what do you believe? What do you believe? And it was so real that I found myself answering out loud as if I was talking to someone. I said, I don't know. I don't know what I believe. I don't know what I believe anymore. And sadly, that was true. I did not know began to get ready for mass that day. It was like I was in a fog. I got the, the kids up but I, of just walking in, in time. And I kept remembering as a child growing up and going to mass with my mother. And I remember going to communion. And back then, you know, it was the altar rails and we kneeled and you, before um, Second Vatican II and you only received the uh, Eucharist on, on your tongue. And I remember as a child feeling that sense of sacredness and reverence and holiness at mass. I mean, I really did. But I could say honestly that day, Everything had just become rote, rote obligation, and not even a committed obligation. And I was looking at that within myself. And then I went to Mass that morning, and you know, I would have sat in the back because I knew I was going to be moving my boys around because they were going to be picking on each other, you know, it drives you crazy when they're little, but that's what would happen. And I knew by the time the Mass ended, I was going to be saying, why did I come? And I would be so angry and frustrated with them. So I always sat in the back. This Sunday, the usher, walked us all the way to the front of the church. And I'm, and I'm dragging three little boys behind me. Well, actually, they were like preteens and teenagers. That's even worse, because you don't move them around as easy, you know? 
And so I'm dragging him with me, and I'm saying, oh my goodness, he's bringing us to the front. Oh no. I do what I'm told, so I'm, at least I thought, so I'm following him. He sits, it's right in front of the Blessed Mother statue, and I have a clear view of the altar, and I have a clear view of the pulpit. As Father got up, our parish priest got up to say the gospel. Guess what the gospel was? You got it. John 6. And this time, as I listened and heard the words, I was like, this is no coincidence. I mean, I'm trying to figure it out. No coincidence. But I listened, and it was, they penetrated so deep within me. It was as if Jesus was speaking through this priest now, saying to me once again, Denise, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I give you is my flesh for the life of the world. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Well, you know, you're standing when you're listening to the Gospels. I literally had to hold on to the pew in front of me. My legs became like jelly. I thought I was going to crumble. The kids were amazing that day. You know, they really were. They didn't fuss or fight. I, it, God was upon us, but oh, <laughs> that was a miracle in itself. So I was absorbing all this. There was no distraction. And then Father got up, and he started talking about the crisis in the church and how people don't believe anymore in the true presence of Jesus. And it felt like he was looking straight at me again and saying, and what do you believe? Everything was just on me. Just don't know. I don't know, Lord. I know this is not a coincidence, but what do you want me to do? I don't know what you want me to do. I still had that question because I still were looking at my family and my kids who were not wanting to go. And then during the consecration, the Lord touched my heart as only he can. And all doubt, all doubt melted away. As Father, I elevated the host that day at Mass, and I looked. There was a quick burst of light that entered into the, the Eucharist, like a, like a like shape, like a dove. It just was pop in there. And I, I'm telling you, I could have just gone backwards over. I'm so sorry. I knew in that moment how far I had actually moved away. I, but I knew his unfathomable and un, un, mercy that was still there he, to show me to not let me walk, to not let me leave. And I, I felt, instead of wanting to run and hide knowing how far I was, I, I felt his love, that unconditional love just flood over me to the point where all I wanted, if I could have, I would have run to the altar. I just wanted to be there. And I left Mass that day saying, I'll never leave the Catholic Church, no matter what. If you can do this for me, you can do it for them. And in that moment, I knew why I was to stay in the Catholic Church. It was because Jesus, Jesus is present in the Catholic Church. Jesus is present in the Eucharist for all of us. Behold the Lamb of God, the one who takes away our sins. And I was beholding him, and he was alive. And I say that to you with great awe and humility. But for that you would hear, too, that he had opened my eyes to behold beyond the veil and know his presence. But change is hard, right? Change has its effect on people. St. John Paul II said, when the Holy Spirit intervenes in a person's life, he leaves people amazed and he brings a newness of life and he radically changes history. And that's so true because after this encounter, I was different. I would never be the same Denise that I was before. I still had a long way to go, but there was a big breakthrough. And so I was in awe 
And there was a freshness, a newness that came into me immediately. And life was about to be radically changed again. That would change history because now my family was going to be living with somebody they didn't really understand and know fully because I was not the same person. It was hard. It was hard for, for Roy in particular because what happened to his wife? You know, that is how he felt. And how can you fight with God? He knew enough not to do that. He was a believer. There wasn't initially peace. There was an internal peace, a conviction in me. But the outward circumstances had not changed dramatically. In fact, in some ways they got worse because I was different. I was wanting to go to daily mass on my lunch hour. I was waking up for morning prayer. I was saying the rosary. I was going to adoration whenever I had a moment. I was still wife. I was still doing the things that I always did, but I had changed and it was observable. And I used to deny that to him, but until one day I just couldn't, because I knew it was true, I had. And so it was very hard. And I kept crying out to the Lord, Lord, why did you do this to me if you were not gonna do it to Roy and my family? Because we were very happily married, I thought, you know, and we were. But I'll tell you, God is in your battles. And if it's the Lord's work, he's going to be there. And he just calls us, again, to be who we are being called to be. Although I had changed and I was crying out because I hated the discord and marriage that I had developed, God was in it. And I had a pivotal moment one day, evening, at a Eucharistic uh, healing procession type of event. Pray for our family. We love our family. And I was doing the same. Change them, Lord. Change them. Change them. I know you can do it. You did it to me. Do it to them. Zap them. Get them. You know? <laughs> Come on. What do you wait for? How long are we going to wait? You know? I was praying that. And in that procession, in that time of Eucharistic uh, adoration and benediction, I felt this grace come upon me. Like I was banging up against walls. And it was as if I just melted. I said, okay. Lord, this was my prayer. Change my heart more then. Change my heart more. Change me. I give them all back to you. It's yours. Just change my heart more. And it was a place of deeper surrender and trust in God. And you know, within a year after that prayer, Roy began to come back to Mass. Not because of anything I said. It was one Sunday morning. I, got, I was getting up, got dressed, ready for Mass. I'm going by myself, bringing whatever kids are around. Still home because they were getting older. I see Roy and he's getting, he's getting dressed up in nice clothes. And I said, where are you going? And he said, well, I'm going to Mass. Is that okay with you? I said, yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, and that's how it happened. It wasn't because of me preaching. It was because of the witness. The Lord, where all of my lack of conviction had aided my family in abandoning the faith. I believe now that the, the Lord was using my deeper conviction and surrender to him to draw them back, to draw Roy back first as the father of the house, and then my, the rest of my children would follow. And that's what began to happen. Give the Lord the time and give him the control and do what he tells you. After my conversion, I immediately felt drawn to go back to the Sacrament of Reconciliation, which is something I've been away from for too long, 20 plus years, really. Believe it or not, I'm a very fearful, shy person. Used to be. Holy Spirit changes, that heals us. He heals us. Going to confession terrified me from a child. And so I would bought that lie that you can just confess your sins to, to God. Why do you need to go to a priest? And it was easier that way, so that's what I did. But after this... 
event, encounter, it mass, I was drawn back to confession, especially after I read some of the Divine Mercy messages. And one of them I'll share real quick in particular is where Jesus told St. Faustina, just for all of us, when you go to the sacrament of reconciliation, to the tribunal of my mercy, the greatest miracles take place in a soul, in a heart. He said, although your sins be as scarlet, I make them whiter than snow. And then he said, do not, this was the words that got me, do not analyze the priest that you go to, for he is only a screen to me. It is I that you come to, and it is I, I am the one that you tell your sins to, and I will work in your soul. Wow, that changed everything for me. And now that is a sacrament I cherish, and I long to, I go to frequently, and I think we should all. Because as we go to that, there is healing. It is about getting rid of our sins, but as we do, the Lord heals us. His mercy and his love is healing. And all of that began to play into my life. But this was the best it could ever get. Life was great. Whew, Lord, we are on the mountaintop. Let's never come down, okay? But God always has more, especially if we stay hungry, if we stay thirsty, if we stay longing for him. I was invited to go to charismatic retreat. knew nothing about that. God has a plan. I went to this retreat with over 800 women. Why? Because my friend that invited me said Sister Bridge McKenna was going to be speaking. He, she was the drawing card. I had read the book and had the uh, conversion and encounter. Wow, I want to go see her in person. So I got to this retreat on Friday night. Everybody starts raising their hands and they're praying and they're swinging and, and they're praying in the spirit. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what is this about? But you know, they had such a joy and a love and an excitement for the Lord that part of me wanted that freedom, but another part of me felt very uncomfortable with it. But it was that push-pull that happens with us. We all struggle. It's the flesh against the spirit. And so then a woman got up and she began to talk about a life in the spirit seminar that would happen the next morning. And she said, here you'll meet the person of the Holy Spirit. Well, I had knew I had met the person, Jesus Christ, and he was Lord of my life now. And wow, the Holy Spirit is a person too? I need to go hear about this. And something welled up and excited me to the point where this shy, timid young woman that was, that was sitting in the very back said, I gotta go to this. And I left the security of my friends and of hearing Sister Briege all day to go to this life in the Spirit. And that changed my life tremendously. Revelations 21 is about a new creation. And I'll just share this with you quick. The prophet John, he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne. He was seeing beyond the veil. He was beholding. We're called to behold. And he said, behold, remember what the word meant. God's dwelling is with the human race. And he will dwell with them, and he will be his people, and they will be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and they shall be no more death, no more mourning, wailing, or pain. For the old order has passed away. And then the one on the throne, Jesus answered with the same word back, just as it happened at the Annunciation, and said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said, They are accomplished. It's done. See it. And he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And to the thirsty, I will give the gift from the springs of life-given water. And the victor will inherit the gifts, and I shall be their God and and they will be my children, sons and daughters. So I was about in this life in the spirit, in this new encounter with the living God, 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I was about to enter into the deeper river of the Holy Spirit, where God would begin to bring healing, healing to my wounded areas, to my fearful areas, to my areas that were still in bondage, all those things that were keeping me just oppressed and down, where I couldn't be fully the woman of God he, was, he has created me to be. It's all a journey, but it has to start somewhere, and that's what was beginning. And he opened me up at that in, in this time to his Holy Spirit and to his gifts. Remember, he said, behold, I make all things new, and I will give them gifts. So we have the Holy Spirit within us. We all do from our baptism and our confirmational graces. So we have God in it. But what is God longing for? He's looking for us to give our personal yes. When we were baptized, most of us, we were baptized as infants, and someone else gave our yes. Just like our mother had to give her fiat at that moment, we have to give our personal yes to the Lord. He doesn't take away his Holy Spirit. What it allows when we give him our yes, our voice, our voice of surrender, is that he can move in our life and be Lord of our life and begin to come forth and, and make us into those roses in full bloom that he wants us to be. And the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which if you go to the life of the Spirit, you can learn, hear more about, and I really encourage you to if you've never is the love of God. Like St. Paul said in Romans 5, for the God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And that's what we want, God's love to come forth in us even more. So I want to share with you what were some of the changes that were happening now. You heard what happened after the, the Mass and the Eucharist. Behold, my brothers and sisters, there's so much more. There was a new and a deeper coming in. Revelations 3 Verse 20, the Holy Spirit says, Behold, don't miss this. Make sure you see it because it's real, it's concrete, and you can see it with eyes of faith and it will become real in your life. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, then I will enter his house, his heart, and dine with them, and they with me. So the Lord wants to dine with us, Sacramentally, yes, absolutely. It's through the Eucharist and the sacraments that we become stronger and stronger. But also through the Holy Spirit in the Word of God, in Scripture, in Scripture, in our prayer. I pray the rosary every day. That's one of the first things I do. Prayer to Our Lady. She has been behind and undergirding, I believe, my whole walk. But the word of God is living and active and effective, and it's able to pierce through the bone and the marrow and reveal the hearts of men and our own hearts first. God's word is scripture, and his word wants to speak truth and life so that we can choose life, that we don't walk the middle ground anymore, that we can make that right decision, and we can hear his voice in scripture. How did that look in my life after the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Scripture came alive. I'd read something and it would, just like the behold, it would become something, I need to know more about this, or it would just, an explanation, an understanding, and it's gifts of the Spirit, a divine understanding and revelation would come. It's not just for me. That's what I want you to know. It's for all of us. We're all his daughters and sons. I had a deep father wound. My dad had suffered for many, many years with multiple addictions, decades. Those addictions became even darker after my youngest brother as a senior in high school, committed suicide. And it just really plunged him over the cliff. And then I had had this major conversion. Our relationship 
was very difficult and very hard because the addictions were in control. And honestly, he struggled to be around me, not because I said anything. It's the battle of darkness and light. And so it was very hard for me. It hurt. And so when he passed away, the parish priest, not knowing any of the story, asked if I would give the eulogy. God's in everything. I said yes, because how was I going to say no and what was I going to say? But I left and said, I don't know what I can say. Because I had so much pain and so much hurt and, and unforgiveness that was still there. I knew my father loved me. I deeply loved him and wanted to feel and experience his love. But he wasn't able to do that. And so I didn't, but I could not remember anything good to say anymore. All I saw was the darkness of the addictions and the illness around him. And I couldn't think of it. And so I, I didn't know what I was going to do. But the morning of the funeral, I opened up my scripture. And I opened up to Psalm 34, 9. And this is what I read. Learn to savor how good the Lord is. Some people's Bibles say, taste and see how good the Lord is. Mine said, learn to savor. And then it says, happy are those who take refuge in him. And in that moment of reading those words, learn to savor, it was like they came off the page. And this understanding came in me that the Holy Spirit gave, that if you have to learn to savor something, it means initially it didn't taste good, right? It didn't taste good. It might taste bitter or sour. But if you keep it in your mouth long enough, then maybe you'll find a sweetness that was hidden in it somewhere. And in that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit say to my heart, and it's all interior. I'm not telling you I'm hearing voices. It's an interior kind of thing that happens. But the Holy Spirit will speak to us through Scripture in the same way if we come into the quiet with him. And he said, learn to savor. Look for the flavor. Behold, look for the flavor of my presence, even in the things you find distasteful and hard in life. And then you will know of the many good things, of my goodness in all things. So he was calling me to look beyond what I could see right in front of me. And I would see his, his presence. And, you know, it gave me such peace and consolation that as then I sat down, he gave me some points right off the top that were good and that were cherished by me and other family members could acknowledge. And it brought honor to my father at that funeral, and it touched other people's hearts. And that was not me. That was the Lord. But the greater grace that even came as I surrendered and moved to do it, I could have said no, right? We always have a choice, choose, yes, no, life, death. I could have said, oh, no, Father. But as I allowed the Lord to help me walk through it and gave a yes anyway, not knowing in a, how it would happen, and I stood up and gave that eulogy, it was short, I felt a great release of all the pain and all the unforgiveness and all the other things. It's like they left the grace of God. He's in all. His, he doesn't limit it. So scripture is a light that brings deeper revelation to God's presence to us. So forgiveness, I just share, it's an ongoing event in our life because we live amongst a broken world and we are broken. And so forgiveness is ongoing and unforgiveness is, needs to be rooted out. And sometimes we don't even know where unforgiveness is because it's so covered over with the hurts and the pains that we don't even recognize the unforgiveness at first. But I can tell you the Lord knows where it is. And if you will sit with him, he's very tenderly, very lovingly, gently. He reveals in a way that edifies you and releases you and sets you free. And that's the inner healing of our hearts and our souls that he wants to bring. Because when the inner healing comes within 
our own hearts, our mind then comes into order with the mind of Christ even more. This is a miracle he wants to do. Before we can change the world, we have to allow him to change us. So that unforgiveness, and I was struggling for unforgiveness for people that don't even know they hurt you. Let's say, that was a big one. Well, they don't even know they hurt me, and I can't go tell them where my pain is because they wouldn't receive it or think it anyway. So I sat with the Lord on that, and I opened up to um, Luke 17, and it says, and if you'll know it, if he wrongs you seven times in one day and returns to you seven times saying, I'm sorry, you should forgive him. And I, thought, I sat and I said, well, yeah, that's good, Lord, but they're not coming to me, you know. They're not coming and asking for forgiveness, and I'm really angry about that. That's really bothering me. I mean, I'm getting really bitter. And, and then I read a little further. The next little section is then the, the apostles responded and said, well, Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. And in that, I felt the Holy Spirit to me pray, increase a personal faith in my mercy. How many times have you hurt me and you didn't know it and you didn't come and ask me forgiveness? Pray to see that and then you'll see my mercy in that. And he said, and then the grace will be there for you to let it go and forgive what seems unforgivable to you. That was a great help to me, along with this one in unforgiveness. Because unforgiveness is a big obstacle of our Blessed Mother. I mean, I said one time, how did you welcome the apostles back into your home? After they abandoned Jesus, your beloved son at the cross. I mean, I probably would have abandoned him too. That would have been a frightful thing, but it's easier to sit back and say it. And that's what I said, how did you do that? And not hold anything against him. You were fully human. And I heard in the sweetest little voice, motherly voice, it wasn't little, the words, grace, grace, all is grace. And so I want to encourage you, if you have areas and you're stuck in them, God does want to set you free. And our mother's there to help us. And she's a very loving and tender mother. So ask her to help you too. And allow those scriptures to really begin to come alive in you. Invite the Holy Spirit into your prayer time. And turn it into a dialogue, a conversation with the living God. See, my prayer changed. I say the rosary. I meditate on the rosary. I go to adoration. I do all the things I'm sure y'all are doing. But prayer time is more when I sit with the scripture. It's a relational thing. It's a sitting with Jesus. It's a sitting and asking the Holy Spirit to come in and pull forth. Is it like this every single morning? No, I'm not telling you it is. It, it, there are dry days and there are days I'm busy and I don't seem to get the same out. But I can promise you this. When there's something pressing on your heart, it's pressing on the Lord's even more. And he's putting the press there because he wants to meet you in it. And so if you give him a little bit of time, even a crack, he'll begin and invite him in. He'll be there. Because that's how important each and every one of us are to him. And he wants to set us free. God began to put people in my life that had been walking in this, in this life, in the spirit, in this new life, in the spirit. And they were experienced with the charismatic gifts of the spirit. And so they began to mentor me into being open and yielding to gifts of prophecy and praying in tongues, and which I cherish now. It's a gift most people want to kind of slide over. But I'm going to tell you, it is praying in tongues is the gift that's opened up my heart the most to hear in the Holy Spirit and to move in where the Holy Spirit, because it bypasses our mind and what we think. And it's the Spirit of God that comes up within us. So I encourage you, if you go to a life in the Spirit or if you want prayer afterwards, this is an, an important gift for our own spiritual growth. It's like St. Paul said, the one who prays in the Spirit 
builds up his inner man, builds up his own spirit within him. The Holy Spirit reveals mysteries. He prays mysteries in the spirit. That's 1 Corinthians 14. So it's an important gift. Because our families are under attack, we all know it. Big struggles with my children. God does not want us to feel powerless, hopeless, or beat up and beat around. He wants our families to come back as whole. He's in the battle with us. He wants to set us all free. How that these gifts work are not just for prayer meetings and conferences and days like this where we pray in the Spirit. They are. But there's a greater, even more, that they're meant to go out into your own personal lives, into your own families, into your workplace. Because that's where the battle is. And that's where we're up against the bigger thing, forces at times. And so the gifts flow. How does that look? I've showed you in my prayer time how that looks. That's a personal level. How does it reflect back into my family life and into community? This is kind of what happens. Okay, so I had this conviction after reading the scripture again that the Lord wanted me to be like a warrior for the family at that time and stand up against the tactics of the devil. What was going on? Our household was under attack. I had children that were involved in drugs and addictions, and then it's that was a big one, but then there's all the other normal stuff that our kids are dealing with and living with that aren't all what we would say is pure and holy or where we feel it's gonna bring them to the Lord. But our mother was a warrior mother. It was the spirit of God that gave her the power to stand at the cross and watch her son die. It was the spirit of God that gave her the boldness to ask Jesus at the wedding feast of Cana to change water into wine, knowing it would lead him into his messianic mission and his destiny as Messiah where he would die on a cross. But she had the power of the Holy Spirit to ask him that with the love and the tenderness of a mother. It was the Holy Spirit that gave the courage for her to leave and go to Elizabeth's across country pregnant after her annunciation. And it was the Spirit of God who gave a vision to St. Joseph to leave in haste and exile out of the land so that Herod wouldn't kill the new baby born Jesus. It is the Spirit of God in each and every one of us that he wants to activate and be released into be Lord of our lives so that we are not timid, beaten people, but we are a people empowered to come against the full force of darkness in our homes, in our wherever. And if you listen to the Lord, he's going to give you the directives, each of us different, because he knows what's needed in each of our own circumstances. I was praying the rosary, like I said, I was doing all these other things, but this one morning I opened up to, I read Luke 10. And Jesus said, into whatever house you enter. Now look, first let me say, he wasn't just talking to the 12 apostles on this. This, Luke 10, is the commissioning of the 72. What that immediately said to me, 72, wow, it's not just the little elite group of chosen ones. It's all the people that were around. And he calls them and he commissions them. And he says, into whatever house you enter, first say. Say came like up like this. If I'm going to say... He says, say, peace be this house. If I'm going to say it, it means I've got to speak it out, right? It's an audible thing. You don't say something in your head. You think it. If you're saying it, somebody's hearing it. It has a different power. 
And at that time, I realized, speak peace into your household, that we didn't have house peace there. There was a lot of destructive, sinful behaviors that were going on in the children, rebellious attitudes. I mean, they were in high school and some moving on into college. Anger, I was dealing with arguing, disrespectfulness. I'm just naming some off the top that I can remember. Addictions, impurity, pornography. You're raising kids if you don't see it. It might be there. We are in a battle. We can't just say, no, I don't want to see it. It's there. I knew it. I was seeing it, and I didn't know what to do about it. And I knew there was less peace. So I wasn't in ministry at the time, but that's what I want you to know. I was not in ministry. I was not speaking, going any places. We don't need to be, because it's about the power of God within us, and he calls us forth. It's not about who's standing on a stage. I read the next part of it, verse 19. Listen up. Guess what it said? So Jesus said, say, speak peace into that household when you go. And then the next thing he said a little down was, behold, this is something you can see with the eyes of your faith, and it is real and concrete, and you will see it in the natural in time. Behold, he said, I have given you the power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and upon the full force of the enemy, and nothing will harm you. And then he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and he said, I give praise to the Father of heaven and earth, for although you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned, you've revealed them to the childlike. We are those childlike. We are his children. If we have that type of heart towards him, he's going to direct us. And so at that time, our parish priest was a big advocate about using the sacramentals of the church. The lay people use it. He was commissioned his congregation to use blessed salt, to use holy water, to claim your house for the Lord. He was a priest. He's deceased now, but he spoke the truth from the pulpit. And so, so much so was he convicted about that, that he had always lots of blessed salt. And he was an exorcist at the time for our diocese. And so he would pray the prayer of exorcism over that blessed salt. And he would say, take as many as you want. Go get your families. Go stand for your families. Bless your house. You can do this. And so I went one day and I got a bottle of holy water. Now I'm not talking about a little bottle of holy water, my friends. <laughs> I got a big bottle. I mean, I got a big spray bottle, went to church, filled it up, and I picked up about six boxes of blessed salt that Father had blessed. And I felt commissioned. I want to tell you, that is a gift. It was not about me. That is another charismatic gift. It's the charismatic gift of faith to believe and receive the conviction that the Lord is bringing up and not let it go. It's not a theological faith that believes of the Father and the Son. It's deeper. It's a faith that sets you out. It's the faith that commissions us to go forward. It's the charismatic gift of faith he wants all of us to have. In addition to the faith to believe, the faith to go forward. And so that was what was rising up in me. And I went home with all of this, my blessed salt and my holy water, and I, no one was home, and I, I went through each room of the house. Now, did I really know how to pray? I didn't. But the Holy Spirit, who is within us, will show us how to pray. Romans 8 says, for when you pray... 
It is not you, pray, but it's the Holy Spirit within you with groanings and moanings. He, he prays the will of God out. Pray. So I went through the house with the holy water, spraying it. I doused it, okay? I doused every room in our house, and I prayed in the Spirit. Lord, show me what to pray in this room. Lord, I know this family is your family. This is a holy family. You have claimed it. Tell me how to pray. And I went to each and every room praying like that in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when I, and I'd spray that holy water all around in it. And when I did, whatever came to my mind, I would speak it out. I spoke it out. I didn't whisper it. I, I proclaimed it. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command all spirits of darkness to leave. And in the name of Jesus Christ, I command all spirits of addiction to leave this house right now. I command all spirits of impurity, of of, uh, and I just went through a litany of whatever came up, addictions, disrespect, all of it, in the name of Jesus Christ, be gone. And I went into the next room. And before I would leave that room, after I felt like I said whatever I, the Lord had put on my heart, then I prayed, you have to fill the void. I prayed the blessings. Lord, pour your Holy Spirit out upon this room and all the people that enter this room and my child that lives in this room. Fill this room with your light, with your peace, with your Holy Spirit, with your love. Fill it with purity. Give them sound decision, temperance, and I just went through whatever came. Self-control. I claim this room and all that would go in it for you. And then I would go to the next room. And then the next room. I went to Roy and I's room. I blessed our bed. I doused that house, man. It was some, some clean and holy water. <laughs> okay? We are called to do that. Then I took the blessed salt and I went outside. And I walked the perimeters of our yard. So I walked the whole boundaries of our yard with the box of salt. I had a bunch of them in this arm, and when it ran out, I threw that one down and got the other, just letting it go. And I said, Lord, I claimed this property for you. And I invite the angels. I invited the angels into their room. But I invite the angels to stand guard and protect us. I put it around door frames and windows that I could reach. I claimed it as holy land, and that all the holy ground and all who lived there were the Lord's possession. I asked the Blessed Mother to make up in my prayer in this whole time anything that I might have missed. And so I did the whole grounds the similar type of way. And when I was finished, I said, okay, it's done. I didn't know if anything had changed. I just held on to that conviction that I'm believing you told me something happened. But God wants our faith to grow. He wants you to believe. He wants us to behold and know. And so that next night, my daughter came home from college, and so the next morning we're having coffee, and Renee tells me, Mom, I had the weirdest dream last night. It was really scary and crazy. I said, well, what did you dream? Now look, no one in my house, no, no one, not even friends, knew what I did. And she said, well, she said, in my dream, she said, there were a lot of people in black trench coats. And she said, they were walking up and down the street in front of our house. And they were walking down the neighbor's side and by our house. She said they wanted to come into our yard, and I didn't want them to because they were scary. They really looked evil and all in black, and they just paced. She said, and they were looking for a place to come in. She said, but they, I don't, she said it was, they couldn't come. They couldn't come on. And I said, yes, yes, all right, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, glory to God. I mean, I did, you know, I mean, how can you hold that in? I'm sorry, sisters, you can't. God moves, we better move, we better move when God moves. But that's how much he wanted us to know because he didn't have to do that. But I knew he, that he hadn't moved in my house, had been reclaimed. 
Praise the living God. This is the God we have within us, the God that we serve, the God that loves us beyond measure. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the power of his Holy Spirit moving in each and every one of us. This is what he wants to rise up within us. This is what's going to change the church. This is what's going to change the world. When we believe and know the power of the living God within us and that he's real and that behold, we can look upon his glory, this world will change and the kingdom of God will be seen on earth. The kingdom of God is already here. We just haven't seen it in its fullness. This is what he's calling. I want to encourage you all to open yourselves to the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to move you beyond your comfort zones beyond what you know, that you may behold some of the amazing things he wants to do in your life and in your families. And to know that our mother is the mother that is behind us all, it bringing us forward to love her son more and to be filled with her spouse, the Holy Spirit. For she is here to bring the, her son's kingdom down upon earth too. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. Thanks so much for listening to this Magnificat podcast. Have you been touched by our time together? If so, for more information or to find a Magnificat chapter near you, go to our website at magnificat-ministry.org or visit us on social media. We would love to hear from you. You can also email us at magnificatcst at aol.com or call 504-828-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Until the next time, may God bless you.